And I'll yet again read our text, verses 22 and 23. Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Let's pray again. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in his blood we have full atonement, that we have acceptance, that we have reconciliation, and the hope of life eternal. We thank you for your word that's a lamp or a light to our path. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who originally inspired it and now illuminates our eyes to understand it. And thus we pray that you'll give us the Spirit as the Spirit of illumination, that he might open up this text again to us and make application of it to our hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, we come this morning to kindness, which is the fifth fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness. Now, as I've mentioned on a number of occasions, this fruit is the product of the Spirit's work in our heart and is thus a distinctly Christian reality. This doesn't mean that non-Christians are able to bear something similar. We know all, most of us know non-Christians who could be characterized by some of these fruit and particularly this fruit of kindness. But the kindness produced in the heart and life of a Christian by the Holy Spirit is a distinctly Christian grace. It's a distinctly religious grace. Virtue. Simply put, kindness is one of many ways a Christian man or woman, boy or girl, can and should be distinguished from this world. And brethren, simply put, as the world we live in is growing increasingly, at least this particular country, increasingly unkind, I suggest there's fewer, more essential and necessary fruit, grace, or virtue needed to distinguish us from this wretched world than kindness. Now, there's one last thing I want to say very quickly by way of introduction before we come to this fifth fruit, and that is these nine fruit mentioned are not all the fruit of the Spirit. Just like Paul did in the previous section with reference to the works of the flesh, remember how he put it, verse 21, envy, murderers, drunkenness, reveries, and the like, as if to say there's other obvious, tragic works of the flesh. So in describing the fruit of the Spirit, he's giving us here a beautiful summary of this fruit because we find in other texts other fruit mentioned. For example, Ephesians 5 and 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now, out of those three, two of them are mentioned as fruit of the Spirit here, goodness and truth, or faithfulness, as we'll see, God willing. But nevertheless, I trust this evident, brethren, that what Paul does here in giving us this ninefold fruit is a beautiful, rather 
large and full-orbed summary of the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. He's given us a rather large and beautiful sample of the fruit produced by the Spirit in the heart and lives of God's people. And I want to come then to the fifth of these nine fruit, kindness and considerate under these four heads. First is meaning, secondly is manifestations, and thirdly is recipients, and fourthly is motives. And we're going to go through the first three a little more quickly and hopefully spend the bulk of our time, well, about half of our time, on the latter of those four, namely its motives. All right, notice this meaning. Now, without doubt, the most difficult thing in, in defining kindness is distinguishing it from other fruit that are very similar, and in particular, goodness and gentleness. That these terms are all closely related, that is, that they overlap, is evident, and that the Greek word that's translated here, kindness, by the New King James, is rendered gentleness by the Old King James. Thus, while terms such as kindness, goodness, and gentleness, as we'll see the latter of those as meekness, are all closely related, we do find that the Holy Spirit has distinguished them. These are three different Greek words, albeit their meanings overlap, and yet we have to understand that there are sometimes subtle but yet important differences or distinctions among them. And so in an attempt to to be um, clear and not confusing, I want to simply stick to the English translation as we find it here in the New King James. So this morning we have kindness, next week goodness, then faithfulness, then gentleness, and there we're going to see that's meekness, as the Old King James has it, and self-control. All right, so fundamentally this word that's translated Kindness in the New King James means to show compassion and helpfulness to others. At its very core, you have a twofold meaning, an inward and an outward aspect. Compassion, inward. Helpfulness, outward. In other words, a person can be kind, i.e. compassionate, or else show kindness i.e. helpfulness. Thus, it's right to say that Christian kindness, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, is both an attitude, compassion, and activity, helpfulness. Beeky put it like this. Kindness consists of two parts. First, the feelings of compassion and motives of our hearts. Second, the resulting behavior that's intended for the improvement of another person's situation. So, compassionate helpfulness, putting those two together, I think is a simple way to define this term, kindness, and to distinguish it from its related sister virtues. Now, let's go through those two very quickly, compassion and then helpfulness. Compassion. This has reference to the inner disposition of kindness. It's a gentle and or mild sympathy. Colossians 3 and 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, listen, tender mercies, kindness, 
humility, meekness, long-suffering. Now, the word that's translated tender mercies here is literally bowels of mercy and refers to pity and or compassion. And notice it's connected to kindness. Furthermore, all five graces in that text are primarily inward attitudes, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. We sometimes speak of kindness in this way when we describe someone as having a kind or gentle disposition or temper. He's a kind person, a kind-hearted, tender soul. Thus, kindness, we could say, begins in the heart. It originates from a heart that's full of tender mercies or compassion. Put another way, kindness begins in the heart as a disposition or attitude before it shows itself in actions. Okay, so we can be kind, that's an attitude, compassion, or we can show kindness, and that is actions, and or secondly, helpfulness. This refers, again, to the outer activity of kindness, of being useful and helpful to others. When you really have compassion for somebody, then it will issue forth or result in helpfulness. Charles Hodge, the old Presbyterian, said the root of the Greek verb means useful, and hence its primary sense is disposed to be useful. Thus, at its very core, kindness is the concept of usefulness being gracious slash good to others. A kind person, in short, is a helpful person, a helpful person because they're a compassionate person. Kindness could be defined as practical or helpful compassion. Practical or helpful compassion. Compassionate usefulness. Now, this usefulness includes, as we're going to see, spiritual, financial, material, and practical help. Doing good to others. It includes big and small things. For example, counseling somebody is a form of kindness. Paying somebody's bills, buying them a car, helping them to clean their house, to take care of their children, these two are acts of kindness that result from compassion. Or else simply greeting somebody politely, helping them with the door. These two are lower forms, but nevertheless real forms or expressions of kindness. Brethren, this is one of the great things about this particular fruit. It shows itself in a variety of ways. Little things, big things. Physical, spiritual, temporal, and eternal. Okay, so kindness is helpfulness to others that flows out of a compassionate heart and or gentle attitude. So just keep in mind those two terms, compassion and helpfulness, and the categories of attitude and actions. Attitude, compassion, actions, help. Now, having briefly suggested what it is, that is kindness, let me, before we move on to the second point, by way of inference, um, hopefully shed a little more light on the word by suggesting two opposites of kindness. 
Okay, so just keep in mind, if, if kindness, biblical kindness, Christian kindness, the fruit of the Spirit, is compassionate helpfulness, then what are the opposites of that? Well, first of all, insensitivity. If kindness stems from compassion, then the lack of sensitivity or concern for others is at the very core or heart of unkindness. A calloused, insensitive, unconcerned, and indifferent person is without doubt an unloving and unkind person. Now, I think oftentimes we think of unkindness, we think of people who are rude and impolite. As we're going to see, this is indeed a form of unkindness. But a person can be unkind and never open his mouth. If you can be unconcerned with the needs of others around you, irrespective of how you act, brethren, you're not kind. You're unkind. Insensitivity is at the kind of heart or the core of what unkindness is. And then harshness, a rough and harsh attitude. And yes, tone is the very opposite of a gentle and or kind spirit. Listen to Proverbs 15.1. A tender answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Tenderness and harshness are opposites. Perhaps I could paraphrase the text. A kind answer turns away wrath, but an unkind word stirs up anger. Thus to speak and to act harshly is the opposite of kindness and, in fact, are works of the flesh and not fruit of the Spirit. All right, so by way of meaning, just keep in mind the two terms, compassion and usefulness or helpfulness, and then the categories attitude and action. Or just put it together like this, compassionate helpfulness. Compassionate helpfulness. This is biblical Christian kindness. Secondly, it's manifestations. Here I want to very quickly suggest some ways in which this kindness can be evident or manifest. First, with our thoughts. This is probably not where most people start in describing how to be kind or the manifestations of kindness. But rather, we must remember true kindness originates from within, in the heart, with a sense of compassion for others. Before you even open your mouth, before you even lift a hand to help, there's kindness. You can speak and act kindly, but if you don't feel kindly or compassionately, it's nothing more than acting. I think we've all met people before who attempt to speak politely or kindly to us, but it comes across as insincere. They're trying to be kind outwardly without being kind inwardly. Thus, the first way true kindness reveals itself is with genuine thoughts of compassion and sympathy. Without words. This is without doubt one of the most obvious ways that we can show kindness to others. Ephesians 4, 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. 
Notice how Paul links together being kind and tender-hearted. It goes back to what I've said. It starts this grace, this fruit, this virtue of kindness starts on the inside, tender-hearted. And it shows itself on the outside in the removal of harsh language, of harsh terminology, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put far from you with all malice. But in contrast, be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. With our deeds, thirdly, that is, we can show kindness by helping others out of a heart filled with compassion. Now, there's many texts here, but I'm going to turn you back to the passage that Mike read. Go back to um, Zechariah. Now, if you go to the last book of the Old Testament, as Mike was mentioning, that's Malachi, and then the one right before it is Zechariah. So if you find Matthew, go before, you're going to get the last book of the Old Testament. Go one before, you're going to get the second book of the last uh, of the Old Testament, and that's Zechariah. Go to chapter 7, that's right after chapter 6, just prior to chapter 8. And notice verse 8. Zechariah 7, 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, now let me just very quickly remind you of the context. Zechariah is an exilic prophet. That is, he's ministering in the time of the exile. They, they've been exiled, and, and they just returned under Ezra and Nehemiah. Some of them have stayed there in um, Babylon. And it's likely he's ministering to the group, that the remnant that came back to Jerusalem. But he's also speaking on occasion to the people who stayed in Babylon. And it's likely to these people that he's speaking. And he says, verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice, show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Okay, now he's telling them this is what they're to do, and they're to do this as evidence of, of conversion. So he's not just telling them to change their ways. The inference is, you need a deep down change that shows itself. And it shows itself in true justice. This word mercy is the, is the word for kindness. Show kindness and compassion, everyone to his brother. Now notice how it's evidence in some particulars. Verse 10, do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien, that is the stranger, the non-Hebrew, or the poor, let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. Basically, what he's saying is evidence your change by bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And in particular, mercy, that is kindness and compassion, evidence toward others in good deeds. You see, why is it that they're going to show compassion and kindness toward these groups of people, the poor, the alien, the widow. Those are people that are vulnerable. Out of what? A heart that's filled with tender mercies. Brother, and it's most evident, isn't it, that we can show kindness with our thoughts, words, and deeds. Galatians 6, let, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all especially to those who are of the household of faith. 
Now that brings me then thirdly to its recipients. In short, we should show kindness to everyone without exception. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Thus, let me make plain here on the front end of this third head, the scriptures command us to be kind to all people, friend and foe alike. Listen to these familiar words from Micah 6 and 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but this sounds a lot like the Zechariah text, doesn't it? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This, of course, just basically summarizes the two tables of the law. To walk humbly with God, table one, and to do justice and love kindness, table two. What does it mean to love kindness? It means to do so from the heart, gladly and willingly. Gladly and willingly. Wholehearted kindness. And so I want to focus quickly on three groups to whom kindness is due. Notice first, enemies. That is, those who mistreat us and even abuse us, yea, wicked and unthankful people. Now I want to turn to the words of our Savior as found in Luke in chapter 6. Because I'm going to come back to this text here in a little bit. And if I turn you there now, I may not have to come back to it in terms of uh, actually having you turn back to it. I may can just quote it. But notice Luke 6 and 35. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High. For he, that is God, is kind to the unthankful and evil. Notice what we're to do. We're to love our enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. Why? And your reward will be great. That is, in the day of judgment, you'll be given much glory to God and receive from him the well done, good and faithful servant, and you'll be sons of the Most High. That is, you'll give evidence to the fact that you are a Christian. You'll be acting in a way that's in keeping with your father's character. Showing yourself kind to others doesn't make you a son of God, but it shows the family resemblance. Thus, loving our enemies by doing them good and lending or assisting them, these are expressions or manifestations of kindness. And they're to be shown toward our enemies. And this is the point I'm going to come back to in a few moments. The motive that's given. Because God himself is kind to his enemies. God himself is kind toward his enemies. Our brethren, that is, those within the household of God and especially in the same church. Look at Peter's statement in 2 Peter. And notice chapter 1 and beginning at verse 5. 2 Peter 1, 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance or patience, to perseverance godliness, verse 7, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Now it's evident, first of all, that many of these are also listed as fruit of the Spirit. 
But notice particularly how he puts it with regards to kindness. He says, verse 7, brotherly kindness. That is the kindness that's to be expressed among the brethren. I quoted already from Galatians 6 that we're to be kind to all men, to do good to all men, but especially those of the household of faith. So we are to be kind to all men. We're to be kind to our enemies. I've already shown you that in Luke 6. But this particular grace here identified or described as brotherly kindness is reserved for those who are Christian people. Those who are bought with the blood of the Lamb. And then lastly, our families. That is, we must show kindness to our immediate families, spouses, children, parents, and siblings. These are those God providentially have brought us together to spend the majority of our time with. Listen to these familiar words of Proverbs 31:26, the virtuous woman. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. That is, she teaches about kindness, and she teaches with kindness. She teaches about kindness. She teaches her children to be kind, but she exemplifies that in her own actions. So she teaches kindly about kindness. I think that's the meaning there. Now, though this kindness in this text is especially attributed to wives and mothers, brethren, obviously and evidently, it's also necessary for husbands, fathers, and children. Surely that home characterized by Christian kindness is a very joyful and blessed place indeed. And conversely, any home characterized by indifference, that is a lack of sympathy and compassion, harshness is a home void of the Holy Spirit. Now, I feel a little bit odd uh, going through those quickly, those first three heads. But I want to spend the bulk of our time now on the fourth, and that's motives. And then even more so, I feel odd because I've given you a lot of moralizing. I want to now come and give you some of the foundation principles as to how and why we're kind. I've already said that this is a distinctly religious virtue, Christian grace. It's not just moralizing. It's not just trying to be kind. Now it's being kind in the right in the right way and for the right reasons. That distinguishes it from the counterfeit. All right. Now that brings me then to some simple motives for us to be kind and to show kindness to others. Why is it slash how is it Christians are to be kind? Well First of all, because of God's general kindness to the world. That is his generic kindness that he shows to all men every day in a variety of ways. Now, I want to begin here by saying something that I haven't said enough in our study of the Spirit's fruit. And that is these nine fruit are within Scripture ascribed to God as perfections. God is loving, joyful, 
peaceful, long-suffering, and kind. For example, think of Exodus 34, 6. And the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed. These are the words of God to Moses. The Lord, the Lord God, listen, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in kindness and faithfulness. Brethren, those are all fruit of the Spirit. Abounding in kindness. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in kindness and faithfulness. And so the work of the Spirit in producing the fruit in us is just another way of saying He's restoring the image of God within us. Remember, this is how Paul puts it, both in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, when he talks about putting off and putting on. Having been recreated in the image of God, put on these characteristics. Kindness, compassion, mercy, love, bowels of mercy, tender mercies. Because the Holy Spirit has recreated us. And he's now about that work of perfecting us. And conforming us, yes, into the image of Christ as the God-man, but also in the image of God himself. Because these, what are called fruit, virtues or graces in us, are perfections in him. Now, I, I, I won't turn you back, but again, think of the text I've read already, Luke 6 and 35. For he is kind and to the unthankful and evil. This is Jesus-inspired incentive for us to be kind. Jesus, why would you have us be kind? And in particular to our enemies, those who mistreat us and molest us and ridicule us and malign us. Well, here's the reason, Jesus says, because God himself is kind, listen, to unthankful and evil people. Now, by that, I, I, I understand Jesus to mean people who will never repent. They're going to remain unthankful and evil all their lives and die in an unforgiving state. To use another term or category, they're reprobate, non-elect. Unthankful and evil people. God is kind to unthankful and evil people. This is why we're to be kind to our enemies, because our Father is kind toward His. This is another way of saying that God's kindness stretches over the whole of creation without exception. Now remember how we've defined kindness. As being helpful to others, as the consequence or result of compassion. This means the kindness that God shows to unthankful and evil men is the result or expression of compassion. And then the next verse, Luke 6, 36, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. Compassion and mercy are closely related. God is kind toward unthankful and evil people. He's merciful. Again, mercy and compassion go together. Mercy is God's kindness toward the miserable. That's what it is. 
Mercy is God's kindness shown towards those in misery. Sinners. In their unthankful and evil condition, my friend, there's no one more miserable than the sinner. And yet, what is God's disposition in part toward the sinner? Mercy. Compassion. And thus, he causes his rain to fall upon them, his sun to shine upon them as expressions of kindness or mercy. The fact that God gives to unthankful and evil men, loving parents, faithful spouses, children, grandchildren, these are expressions of kindness. As he gives them strength and health, food and clothing, these too are expressions of his generic or general kindness, according to our master. But even more than this, these are all expressions of kindness. But even more than these, the fact that he sends ministers, Christians, into the world to offer them in the gospel of Jesus Christ salvation, this, my friend, is the greatest and grandest expression of his kindness. Why does God give such things to unthankful and evil people? Why does he give these gracious, benevolent, merciful, and or kind gifts to reprobates? Well, here's the only answer we can give, brethren. Because God is kind, and thus he's compassionate and helpful to sinners. You see, there's some Christians, thankfully not many, who believe that God isn't truly kind toward the non-elect. They can hardly deny that God bestows temporal gifts and blessings upon them, but they maintain he does so not from a heart of compassion, but from a heart of hatred. They believe that God's disposition toward the non-elect is always and only hatred, and so he gives them such gifts in order to punish them more in hell. See, we all have to agree that God causes his rain to fall upon them and his sun to shine upon them. We have to confess that they have, many of them, temporal things like good health, a faithful spouse, children and grandchildren. We all agree. But why does he do so? That's where we differ. What's his disposition toward them? Is he kind toward them? That is, is he given them these things? Is he helpful to them because he has a heart full of tender mercies toward them as their creator? Or merely as their judge who hates them, who gives them these things to fatten them up more for the day of slaughter? Well, my friends, you can see that those are two very different options. Let's go to our Savior's teaching. Who says, be kind to your enemies. Because God himself, your father, is kind to his my friend, our God's heart is large toward the world in which he's created. 
Treat your enemies in the same way God treats his. As he's kind to evil men, you too be kind to evil men. Now, to clarify, it is true. God isn't only kind, but he's also just. And he is also not only compassionate toward the reprobate, but he's also, according to the same scriptures, angry with the wicked every day. Brother, these things are consistent with each other. God can be both compassionate and just at the same time. Remember, God is equally and always all of his attributes. He's infinitely kind and just simultaneously. Thus, God can be both compassionate to unthankful and evil men while remaining just at the very same time. God is angry with the wicked every day. And yet his hands are wide and open towards them in a variety of ways. And thus we're to imitate God in that we're to be kind toward evil men all the while knowing they're evil. The difference, of course, between us and God is this. We know that by nature we too are evil and unthankful. And this is unlike God. One reason why we're compassionate toward them. Because we know what we are by nature. And then another thing I have to say by way of clarification. Unthankful and evil men will be doubly guilty if they don't repent and acknowledge God's kindness toward them. It is true, brethren, that they will be held accountable for every single ray of sunshine, every drop of water. Romans 2 and 4. Or do you despise? He's speaking to the hypocritical Jews, particularly. Do you despise the riches of his kindness? Listen, forbearance and long-suffering. Not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Don't you know how kind God has been towards you? And particularly to the nation of Israel and giving them his word and, and prophets and, and worship and the glory and all of the different things they had in distinction from the Gentiles? How patient has God been toward that nation? How forbearing and long-suffering has he been? Do you not know that God's kindness is towards you? If you, were, if you were to really acknowledge them, it would break your heart and lead you to repentance. Unfortunately, the next verse says, but. Instead, you're storing up more wrath. More and more wrath with every kind act of God shown you, you're storing up more wrath for the day of wrath and judgment. Oh, brethren, it is true. Unthankful and evil people, they are the recipients of God's kindness and they're accountable for it. And in the day of reckoning, God will judge them most severely in part based upon his kindnesses toward them. But here's my point. Why is it that we're to be kind to all people, in particular our enemies? Because God is kind to his. 
But secondly, God's special kindness to his people. That is, God's covenant kindness shown to his beloved people. In fact, this word that's translated kindness by the New King James is only found five times in the New Testament. Four of these times, it's applied to God's kindness. Four times it's applied to God's kindness. Once as shown to sinners and three times as shown to his people. There's a sense in which Christians, God's elect, are trophies or monuments of God's special kindness. You see, brethren, it's good Calvinism to make distinctions. We believe that God has a generic love for mankind lost as his creature or his creation. And yet we believe that God has a unique and special love for his people as his elect. We believe that God has given in the gospel a savior to the world. But we believe, as we learned in the previous hour, that he's given Christ in a unique way so as to secure the salvation of some. And so, too, we believe that God is kind, benevolent, and compassionate to the whole world. Yet he has a unique kindness and compassion for his people. Now, I want to show you that very quickly from a text or two. Look at Ephesians 2, and let's start with verse 4. So under the first help, God's generic kindness to the world, that really motivates us and helps us to show compassion and kindness to the non-Christian. But here is a motive that would excite us or motivate us to show kindness to some people. Notice Ephesians 2 and verse 4. But God, who's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That, verse 7, in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Brother, there is a sense in which for all ages, God will make known the glory of his grace and in particular his saving kindness upon us as the redeemed shine with a glory bought by the blood and the merit of their Savior. God's people, in a sense, are trophies, monuments of his kindness in Christ, and they'll reveal the glory of the same in heaven for all eternity. Titus 3, notice verse 3. Titus 3, 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various loss and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Perhaps we can just say we were not very kind. Notice verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, 
Here it's as if Paul is saying Christ is God's kindness. Or the fullest expression. I've already said that the fact that God bestows his rain and sunshine upon the reprobate is a manifestation of his goodness. But even superior to that is the gift of salvation or a savior in the gospel for mankind lost. Well, brethren, how much more then is Christ the manifestation, the embodiment of God's kindness toward us in that he dies not merely sufficiently for the world, but efficiently for the elect. Not by works of righteousness, verse 5, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. According to his compassion. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us abundantly through Christ Jesus, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So here you have the whole of salvation from the beginning to the end. And it's all the revelation or the manifestation of God's kindness for us in Christ. This is an efficacious kindness. It's an effectual kindness. It's a limited kindness. It's a specific kindness for some people. Those whom God elected from eternity. To be trophies of his kindness. Oh, brother, and I love the great and grand biblical historical truth that God is kind to the world. But what a wonderful truth it is to know that he's especially kind to some in the world. And how would that kindness show itself but in salvation? Actually applied. And it starts in regeneration and it ends in life eternal. Here's a wonderful reason, brethren, to show kindness to your brethren. Because God has shown a special kindness to them in Christ. Why should we show kindness to our pagan neighbor or our co-worker or our extended family member? Because God shows kindness to his enemies. But why should we especially be concerned with showing kindness? Remember compassion and usefulness or helpfulness to the brethren, because God, especially in Christ, the gospel of grace, has shown kindness to them. Finally, thirdly, Christ's perfect example of kindness. As I said before, this fruit, all fruit, this ninefold fruit, was found in Christ, the God-man, in perfection. Okay, so we, we say that the fruit, this fruit, is found in God, Father, Son, and Spirit as perfections. And this fruit is found in the God-man in perfection. Compassion. Throughout the Gospels, our Savior is described as having compassion for the multitude's brethren over and over again. Do you know what? If you want to see a tangible expression of kindness, look no further than Christ the God-man. Matthew 9 and 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them 
because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. But notice Jesus' kindness toward them doesn't end with compassion. Remember, it starts with compassion. It's an attitude, but it results in activity. Acts 10 and 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good. He was kind. He was kind in his thoughts. He was kind in his words. He was kind in his actions. Matthew 4 and 23, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. This is an expression of kindness. Preaching the gospel. Telling sinners about salvation. And healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Brother, and again, it goes back to what I said. We can show this kindness in both Preaching and helping in aiding a man's soul and body. Kindness. Again, it's a, it's a diverse virtue and grace. Brethren, we must ever remember Christ is our perfect example. He's God incarnate. God in the flesh. But, in closing, we have to also remember, he's more than that. He's more than our example. But he's also our righteousness. Yes, his kindness is to be imitated, but it's also to be trusted as it forms the basis of our acceptance with God. Dear Saint, let me speak to you first. Are you at times unkind? What, what, if, what, if we were to, what if we were to have your wife or your husband or your children stand up corporately in the public meeting and testify as to how kind you are in the family? Oh, brother, and it's pretty easy, isn't it, to be kind to people at church? But how kind are you at home? in the workplace, in the neighborhood. I think all of us as Christians would have to confess that we're oftentimes at least tempted with being, if not actually, in fact, unkind. We're indifferent towards the needs of others. We're harsh with our words. And we're negligent with our gifts. And thus I would encourage you, Christian, this. To the extent that you find yourself unkind, you need to run back to the fountain open for sin and uncleanness. Because remember, Christ on the cross, he was punished for those hours in your place as if he were unkind. He was punished for all of your unkindnesses. All of your lack of compassion. Every bitter and harsh word you've ever uttered to your spouse or your children or your parent or your sibling. For he who knew no sin was made sin. He was treated as if he were a sinner. And alas, 
Watch him there walk across the pages of the gospel. Perfectly kind in everything he always said and did. Well, what about when he turned the tables? What, what about when he spoke strongly to the hypocrites and Pharisees? Brother, all of that is righteous anger and is consistent with kindness because stop and think he's being kind to who? Kind to those who are being deceived by them. Oh, brother, and everything I say, your thought was kind. Everything he said was kind. Everything he did was kind. Because the fruit of the Spirit was in him in perfection. He had the Holy Spirit without measure. So you say, well, I'm not very kind. I, 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 I oftentimes speak rudely and harshly and, and unkindly toward my family members. Well, here's your righteousness, my friend. Christ died for your unrighteousness. He died for the lack of kindness or your unkindnesses. And he perfectly fulfilled the law with respect to every virtue, kindness included. And therein lies your righteousness. Let me put it like this. Christians will go to heaven for the sake of Jesus' kindness. And every other virtue that he had by the Spirit in his humanity as the God-man, in perfection. Now let me say something to you, sinner. Is it true that you lack kindness? Not in part, but in whole? This isn't something that you're tempted with and you fall prey to, but this is something that characterizes you. You know in the deepest recesses of your heart, you are Unkind. You have no real compassion for anybody. Save yourself. And you do nothing for the good of others. From the heart. For the sake of God. What do you do? Well, here's counsel for you. You basically do the same thing as the saint. The only difference is the saints coming back to a fountain. Open for sin and uncleanness. And you come for the first time. You come. With all of your indifference. You come with all of your selfishness. You come with all of your unkindnesses. To the one who bore all your sin. And perfectly and flawlessly. Fulfilled the law in your stead. That's what you do. Saint, come back to the kind one who was treated on the cross as if he were unkind. And sinner, you too come to the Savior of unkind sinners. And then you'll get the Holy Ghost. And then you'll be able, for the sake of Christ, to bear fruit in part kindness. Well, may God help us to do so. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for your kindnesses for us in Christ. We thank you that you are kind to unthankful and evil men. And you're especially kind to your beloved people. Help us in turn to be kind to both. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.